This is Five and Nine, a podcast at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. to put together a questionnaire on people's health, but it wasn't just sort of what kind of medicines are you taking, but I really want to understand each Dansante's physical, psychological, and emotional health. And so that means sort of taking a mirror to in what type of relationships are we in? How are they doing? If we're caregivers of children or others, how's that going? How's our work? You know, are we happy? Are we struggling financially? Are we trying to fill any type of need in our lives? What type of crises or struggles or breakdowns have we had in the past year that might be telling us about something that we need to let go or that we really need to pay attention to in our lives? Hi, everyone. This is Anna Anshalmina, producer at Five and Nine. This is Dorothy Santos, Director of Magic with Five and Nine. We have on the show Angela Mitlansochi Anderson Guerrero, who has a beautiful practice that combines her deep commitment to both leadership development and spiritual growth. As the Executive Director of Lida Ramos, she works to cultivate Latino leadership in the U.S. She's also a council member of Mesoamerican Ceremonial Circles and a registered abuela or grandmother in the Danza de la Luna or Moondance lineage, a trans-territorial Mexica ceremonial practice. Angela has previously worked in health policy and healthcare administration, received her doctorate in psychology from the California Institute for Integral Studies, and is a certified coach with expertise in neurolinguistic programming. And I can attest personally to her abilities. It was through deep conversations with Angela while we wandered the streets of Mexico City that I came to new knowledge and realizations about my own interests in magic, ceremony, the spirit, and of course, leadership. The music for this episode is O for the Wings of a Dove, a.k.a. Hear My Prayer, composed by Mendelssohn and performed by Geraldine Farrar in 1911. In this episode, Anala offers prayer and meditation, and we invite you as a listener to find and make space for the sacred in whatever way you can as you listen to this episode. Welcome, Angela, to Five and Nine. We're so thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Anna, I'm going to burn um, off a little bit of California sage just to to cleanse the space between us, to welcome in the energies from the all of the direct directions, and also just to honor how the three of us met sort of in California territories. May this umo rise in good spirits, with good intentions, and may our words and thoughts be guided with care and intentionality. Ometeo. Thank you for the mm-hmm. for opening with such a grounding intention. You live so many lives, policy, healthcare, PhD in psychology, artist, and now an executive director. Can you talk about how you thought about these transitions in your work and how you've navigated the movement from from and within and to so many different fields? I think all of these transitions and movement have always sort of been guided by prayer. In my doctoral work and through my work with Danza La Luna, there is a grandmother named um, Abuela Ana Tiawikoat, and her moon dance is dedicated to the seed. And she introduced me to this 
seed that I didn't know that these type of seeds existed, but they're seeds that do not they do not come to fruition until sort of the environment's ready for them. And I really feel that has been my prayer that started over 20 years ago after I finished undergrad and I went to Bolivia and I came back to Chicago to do my graduate work. And I was introduced to the work of Rodolfo Anaya in his beautiful book, Bless Me Ultima. And I discovered this beautiful curandera, spiritual woman, Ultima, who reminded me of earth spirituality, you know, my ancestral traditions, and just sort of the importance of planning prayers and asking for spirit to guide you when you're not quite sure which direction to go. And I think for me, after being a young undergraduate student and being exposed to Bolivia and sort of Andino cosmology and, you know, an earth spirituality that's very alive and real in the everyday, I came back home really with a lot of questions and curiosities about my own earth spiritualities as a Chicana um, biracial woman in the United States. And so my first prayer was for a spiritual guide, for an ultima to enter my life. And I really believe that was the spark that has sort of set off this sometimes wave, sometimes river, this long walk of really getting to know myself, valuing who I am, and really trusting that I will be okay with whatever choice I make. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about prayer? I think there's a lot of connotations with, with prayer, especially if people have grown up amongst different faiths. And, and I'm curious what that word means for you and what that actually looked like in, in the way that you practice the prayer, especially 20 years ago and, and, and even today. That's a good question. I think it's something I'm trying to integrate into to how I think about my work now in leadership And I think as I engage more in prayer, as I engage with prayer through my ancestral traditions, which is within the Mexicayo, and as I meet people, I've learned what's most important to me, at least in my quest, is to help people value themselves Mm -hmm. and to be self-determined so that they can respect sort of their autonomy and the autonomy of others. And so recently I've been sort of working through some of the meaning making I created through my doctoral work, which was really about exploring the experience of Mexican and Mexican Americans, reclaiming their Mesoamerican spiritualities, and then sort of transferring that into the work I'm doing now in leadership development, but specifically leadership development within the Latino community. And what keeps on coming back to me are these four energies that I think are really important, and I think it relates to prayer, at least in this question, and I've been calling it thoughtful engagement. I think for prayer is offering or setting down an intention. What is it that we want to revive, reclaim, ask for in our lives and the lives of others? How are we responsible and how do we recognize the responsibility of that intention that we're planning? Are we prepared and willing to take on whatever comes of our intentions and prayers being answered, both for the good and sort of perhaps the challenging as well? It comes with reciprocity. In my prayer, what am I willing to give? 
but also what am I willing and expecting to receive? So that's an active energy that encourages sort of exchange in a thoughtful and caring way. And then lastly is, is care, you know, which I kind of see is very fundamental to being very gentle with ourselves and forgiving whatever our prayers are, because it's a process of inquiry. It's a process of trying to understand and, and more than, than anything else to really value who we are and where we are in whatever moment we are sort of um, situated in at the moment. So care is, is that corazón, it's that heart that keeps us grounded and it doesn't take us down. It keeps us where we, we need to be so that we can be level with other people so that we can rise in our care and respect for one another. And I love this progression that you're talking about from intention to responsibility, reciprocity, and care. You said that you set out on 20 years ago, you said a prayer. And what did that look like for you And when you were um, making a big decision or to trying to decide some of these transitions over the past two decades? Well, as I'm sort of smelling the, the savia from opening space with both of you, mm-hmm. I think the, the vision that's coming to me is this prayer I laid in a very vulnerable part of my life. It was after starting the Red Road. I had just but let go of my like my first professional role in healthcare. I was living in Chicago. I was technically unemployed, although I did have a job offer for the new year. It was December and you know, because I was kind of in this low spot trying to understand what happened because getting let go from a job is for someone who's been successful all their life, it, it's really a, a punch to the ego and to our right. sense of knowing. Right. That December, I stayed home in Chicago. I didn't go home to California where my family was. So just sort of, I was just in this solitude and lonely space, confused, sad. And on December 23rd, I woke up in the middle of the night because the building I was living in was on fire. Oh, wow. And so through you know, very, very beautiful events through the neighbors waking us up, us getting out of the building on time, no one being harmed physically, but waking up the next day and realizing that all of your belongings are lost. Economically, I was at my lowest point because I I was not working and I hadn't begun my new job and I didn't have a home anymore. And I was very far, far away from sort of my home base, which is my family in California. And I remember the things that I was able to recover from the fiber were my sacred elements. It was my my copalera, my poposhkoma that I used to to burn copal. Mm. And I remember that evening, um, a friend took me in and I remember lighting my copal because I was just desperate with, in tears, not knowing what I was going to do. And that evening I had this this dream where I was back in the burned building building. However, there was this hawk that came up behind me and sat on my my back and it basically embraced me with its wings. And in that moment being embraced by its wings, I just felt sort of this calm and this peace, knowing that everything's going to be okay. Wow. And the next day I was able to wake up with confidence and determination. 
I literally found a new place to live. I think that that within the next two days, I understood too that sometimes in moments of change, it's not necessarily about compromise, but it's about accepting what's there and available so that you can take that next step forward. And then it also led me to, you know, receiving help from others in a very critical time, you know, just basic things to being able to buy new clothes and put gas in my car. And, you know, it led me to to step into this new role of, of leading another national association, which wasn't necessarily my dream job or where I wanted to go next, but it was sort of the transition space I needed to take me to the the next step that I needed to take. That was one, I think one of the first critical transitions points where I was at my absolute (laughs) bottom and prayer and just sort of having confidence in the uncertainty really helped me get to the next step, to the next place I needed to be. In this show, we talk a lot about tarot and uh, there's a progression in tarot that starts with a tower card. It's an image of of a, a tower falling, coming undone and people flying forth from it. Often it's depicted in flames or that there's lightning. And the moment right after is the star. It's an image of um, of a figure resting under the stars, pouring water into the ground. And after that is the moon, a moment of mystery. And then the sun, the moment of clarity. And I've always thought of that star as kind of a representation of prayer. Um, mm-hmm. After that difficulty right here, literally your house burning down. And then that, that moment of deep pain, but then you finding that, that point of stillness sounds such like such a critical and important moment, um, that those turning points in our lives. When I look back on points of difficulty, it's that stillness that then marks a shift, at least in my experience, that I find quite powerful, and only in retrospect, though. And I'm curious for, for you, when the hawk came and it embraced you, it gave you a sense of comfort. But then when you're actually like stepping forward and like looking for those jobs, looking for the new home, looking for community. What was going on in your head? Was that spirit of guidance, that spirit of comfort? Was it carrying you through this whole time? Or did you feel like um, sometimes the waves were a little rocky? I like working with the the concept of Napatla, the in-between, mm. sort of the smoky mirror. And so I think in these moments, there's obviously stages or what I call caracols, sort of cycles, mm. where things are really clear. There's a lot of clarity and I think the sense of determination and how I see things and how things are moving about me that lead me to where I want to be and how I want to be. And then there's these other moments where I think they are shadowed by doubt and uncertainty because what's there for me hasn't presented itself yet. Mm. And I think in those moments of shadow, which I would you know, I probably call more of those in-between spaces. I get scared. I get nervous. I think my anxieties and traumas are triggered. And in those moments, although I think prayer is there, I think they're also, they're very beautiful moments because they're moments where my body, spirit, and life is, t- is asking me to grow. Right. I'm asking to, to heal. And ultimately, I think those lessons in those moments are what further strengthen my clarity and the clarity moments of the cycle to very clear, like, okay, this opportunity came, go, go with it. Kind of, you know, when you go to the carnival and you walk into the carnival game, that's all the mirrors. And it's kind of like, you're going through this maze of mirrors and there's dark spots and then really Mm -hmm. 
like bright spots. I, I really feel like that's what I'm I'm seeing when I think about my life going through these different transitions. And you're always looking at yourself, right? right. right. But how you look at yourself is always changing <laughs> as well. And so I think for me, coming out of that first transition that I spoke to earlier, I think spirit was telling me, Angela, you are a spiritual leader and this is your path. Mm-hmm. However, Angela in the real world wasn't ready and mature enough to take that on. And so I kind of went into the nonprofit world where I was comfortable, but yet there was still the uneasiness. And so as I grew in my spiritual practice, I was given new opportunities and I was also challenged by different circumstances. And so when I realized I couldn't do the nonprofit thing anymore, and I chose to take a leap and go to California to pursue my doctoral studies, that was a very clear and confident decision because I was Mm -hmm. tired of just sort of getting by. And for me, you know, from the background that I come from, I don't have a trust fund. I don't have family members or friends who are going to pay my way. And for better or worse, in the United States, we have access to to grants to go to school. So I'm like, wow, a, a doctoral degree is a good space for me to to refuge in, to think about, you know, what I'm feeling, what am I thinking, and how can I share this with others to sort of build that clarity and direction for myself again. It's definitely an emotional roller coaster, but one that I like to remember that has a lot of joy and a lot of care and a lot of like loving affirmation from the people around me. One thing I love about the way you talk, Angela, and just just in the time I've known you, but also in this recording, is that you seamlessly blend um, spirituality with leadership. And when we were preparing for the show, we talked a lot about authenticity. How do we show up authentically as who we are in our workplace, in in the work we do? I think in the U.S. and, and maybe in general, we don't often think about work and spirituality kind of being melded, unless you're doing spiritual work, of course. How do you show up authentically? especially in your current role or in previous roles. And what does that look like for you? And what can that look like for for people who might be thinking about bringing their authentic spirituality into the work they do day to day? Thank you for that question. I think ultimately it's step by step and really trusting and experimenting how my authentic self sits in the spaces that I'm sort of coming back into because I think my doctoral work took me away from some of these secular spaces that I was involved in prior, like in the nonprofit world or national associations, things of that nature. A lot has changed as well, I will admit. I feel that there's more openness to spirituality just because our times are are calling for it. And so in that sense, I feel very thankful My authenticity shows up in sort of how, first and foremost, how I present myself. And so if you look at my resume, if I'm being introduced to a group of people, I always say I present myself as Angela Mitlan Sochi because Mm -hmm. that's who I am. And Angela is my birth name that was given to me by my parents. And Mitlan Sochi is my Mexica name that was given to me in ceremony and is based on the 
Mesoamerican um, sort of astrology, I guess, for a lack of a better way to describe it. Mm. And it's really beautiful and powerful to be able to present myself as that because when I say I present myself as Angela Mitlan Sochi, I am inviting all of my energies into the room or to the space that I'm occupying. It's a nonlinear way to invite my energies to interact with other people's energies in the, in the room, whether or not they're conscious of sort of the spiritual engagement that we're about to endeavor. And I think so that just in itself, I think is magical and spiritual where just saying who I am is power in itself. And it's me claiming my agency from the moment that I share my first breath. But I think it's being very transparent about who I am, where my ideas come from, and who are my relations. And it's not threatening because I'm, I'm just telling you where my ideas, where my energies, where my impulses are coming from. Recently, I was able to participate in a conversation with the Center for Creative Leadership, which is you know, one of the leading executive leadership programs in the world. And I was you know, a little nervous, but also excited. I don't really claim myself to be a leadership guru, but I'm willing to offer anyone you know, how, what I think and how I think about leadership. And for me, in in this moment, you know, what what came up was Gloria Ansaldúa, Napantla, you know, the this framework of thoughtful engagement that I shared with you earlier. To no surprise, you know, spirit does its that did its work and even with the in this process of collaborating with CCL, they were able to sort of see the value behind this framework that I was offering. We were able to involve an artist to sort of create a coloring page for us. And so what what originally was just to be sort of a conversation over Zoom Live has now turned into a friendship. It's turned into a framework that is touching hearts and opening minds. And we have an archival piece, this coloring page that I hope that hopefully will um, encourage others sort of to think beyond linear concepts of, of leadership and really invite the color, invite the drawing, invite sort of their stories to their own narratives. Of, of leadership in their own authentic selves. Such a powerful explanation of of how you integrate your spiritual artwork into your leadership work. And it seems to me like there's almost, it's a, it's a very blurry, fuzzy border, or if there's a border at all. I'm wondering if you can explain for the audience um, the meaning of your spiritual name, Mitlan Sochi, for those unfamiliar with the Mexica um, traditions and what that mean, name means when you introduce yourself that way. So Mitlan it me is within in Nahual and in, is means death or transformation. Mm. It's signified or symbolized sort of by the skull. And Sochi is flower, which kind of has sort of creative, but also sort of medicinal connotations to it as well. Nahual is a very layered language, layered meanings in, in its language. And so for me... Being Mitlan Sochi is being someone who brings medicine, creativity, compassion to processes of transformation. That's such a beautiful encapsulation of what leadership is, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. At least for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Many models of leadership, but to me, that's a very inspiring model. Oh my goodness. Anhala, it's so nice to talk to you after quite some time. 
I met Angela through actually through an arts professional kind of fellowship years ago, actually almost 10 years ago. But in listening to you and Anna talk about these various themes, and one of the things that was happening as you were talking is different tarot archetypes kept coming to mind. I couldn't help but think of Xiao Wei, who's our other collaborator on this project, oftentimes reads the hanged one as learning how to flip oneself over so that the heart is above the head. Because you kept bringing up mirrors. And I wanted to share something with you, Anhala, from Christy Rhodes' deck. They did the New World Tarot. And the lovers is actually one of my favorite interpretations of the lovers. It shows a disabled community member in front of a mirror. And it is their twin that actually steps out of it. And the way that Rhodes describes that particular archetype is the lovers are a sacred point where power merges from the spine. The, sp the lovers are the feeling of warmth and belonging, the meeting where you felt heard, and the gathering where you felt alive. The lovers are two halves of a whole, intuitively joined at the hip and made for one another. I feel ever since I met you all those years ago, which in the grand scheme of things is like a blip in time if you think <laughs> of the time-space continuum, especially through a fantastical way. I feel like you've totally embodied what Christy Rhodes is actually describing as this archetype. I wonder when you use the metaphor of mirrors, maybe because you are an artist and that's a part of what you do in your life. How does the mirror look now to you? I think my mirror now is an obsidian mirror. And if you've ever held an obsidian mirror or obsidian piece of stone, what's beautiful about it, or at least the one I have, is that you can look at yourself and the other side invites somebody else to look at themselves. And so there's that duality, that exchange by me looking at picking up, picking it up and putting it to my face, I'm inviting someone else to look at themselves as well. The prayer that we have this year in Dante la Luna Witzli Metzli is all about praying on sort of the purpose, intention, and power of matriarchy, the power of women leadership as a women's sort of Mesoamerican circle. And that's a really hard work because of all of the colonial violence and deterioration of ourselves, particularly women. And sometimes even when we are trying to heal and care for ourselves, it's hard to look at how even in our, our daily lives, we are still holding up some of those, um, those habits or those ways of thinking that are, that are maybe not helpful to, help, helpful to ourselves or others. And so I had to put together a questionnaire on people's health. But it wasn't just sort of what kind of medicines are you taking, but I really want to understand each Dansante's physical, psychological, and emotional health. And so that means sort of taking a mirror to in what type of relationships are we in? How are they doing? If we're caregivers of children or others, how's that going? How's our work? You know, are we happy? Are we struggling financially? Are we trying to fill any type of need in our lives? What type of crises or struggles or breakdowns have we had in the past year that might be telling us about something that we need to let go or that we really need to pay attention to? 
in our lives. Also, it's understanding those moments that have given us joy or ecstasy. And how do we invite more of that, make more of that? I think you both are familiar with Joy Harjo. And I love using this this quote of her around what is indigeneity, but indigeneity is a condition of possibility. And so I kind of see the subsidian mirror too, holding that energy of, of being a condition of possibility for who we are has value and significance and importance to ourselves and to every living thing around us. To close this episode, we've invited Angela Maitland Sochi to provide an offering to the audience. She's composed this prayer for Five and Nine in collaboration with sound artist Enrique Ariaga Celis. The prayer audio can be downloaded separately for your own use in meditation at thisis5and9.com. obsidian mirror, the black magic mirror. My fingers are around the edges. I lift up the black mirror to my face. As I look into the mirror, I see the reflection of my face. I feel myself. I invite each of you to look back via the other side into the black magic mirror. Close your eyes and feel. Sense the darkness of the condition of possibility. With the permission of Nana Metzli, our moon, with the permission of Donansin, Mother Earth, with the permission Donatiu, our sun, the permission of the cosmic energies, I ask all of the directions to invoke the loving energy of the sacred space. I ask all the directions to activate the black magic mirror. May we feel embraced in its stillness, wherever you may be. And however you may be, may you honor your thoughts, may you honor your insecurities, may you honor the genius of all the movements in your life, in the beauty and the tragedy of our relations, I ask that you are shown the depth of your love. 
I ask the reflective black light to shine on each of you. As you feel it tingle, ask yourself, who am I and who do I want to be? Listen. Listen. Listen to yourself. Claim your sacredness. Embrace your medicine to heal and trust in your unique value and gifts. Now listen and repeat. My path is open. I am guided by my ancestors. The magic of the elements and the sacredness of life wants me to survive. My reflection is my life force. I dance with the weaving of life so I may come into union with the person I am. Listen, listen, listen to yourself. As we close, Black Magic Mirror, please shower the you in me and the me in you with love and kindness. In the light of the Black Magic Mirror, I am you and you are me. We are never alone. With heart over our heads, walk with confidence in the black light. Ometeo. Five and Nine is an independent podcast and newsletter at the crossroads of magic, work, and economic justice. This show is produced by Dorothy Santos, Xiaowei Wang, and me, Anna An Xiaomina, and it's hosted by Dorothy and Anna. Well, this podcast is always free if you enjoyed it. We invite you to buy us a virtual cup of coffee. You can subscribe on Substack for just $6 a month. Your generous support helps cover our production costs and honoraria for our guest speakers. Paying subscribers get access to additional content like how-tos, journaling prompts, tarot exercises, amongst other resources to support you in your work and your career. Find us at thisis5and9.com and on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The background music for our closing is Ain't We Got Fun, a foxtrot composed by Richard Whiting and performed by the Benson Orchestra of Chicago. This and the episode music are part of 400,000 sound recordings made available in the public domain this year. And it's all music that would have been popular during the time of the creation of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, one of the most popular and influential tarot decks in the world. Thanks for listening, and we wish you comfort and ease in these times of great change and transition. Remember to breathe deeply, drink plenty of water, and take a moment of joy wherever and whenever you can.